This year we're working on the concept of walking worthy of our calling. Our key verse, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, where Paul urged us, because of all that Christ has done for us, to walk worthy of that calling. Uh, this series that we're on now is entitled Laying Aside, and our motivation is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's Mark's memory verse for this week is to learn that and the passage. Uh, <laughs> he's already read that for you, uh, although most of you weren't paying attention, obviously. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Because of the great cloud of witnesses that we have around us, uh, we should throw off everything that hinders, every weight that hinders, and every sin that entangles us. And goes on and explains why we should do that. So we're dealing with this concept of holiness. Uh, we've been laying a foundation for a few weeks. Uh, the principle is of, of walking worthy. It's not about salvation. Uh, all of this was written, Hebrews and all the other epistles in the New Testament were written to saved people. Already saved is telling them how to live and encourage them to walk worthy and to lay aside things that hinder them. Uh, so that's what we've been working on so far, the foundation. We started off with a lesson about unity, about being of the same mind, and we did that because I knew we were going to come to today. I knew we were going to come to today and next week and a few weeks after this, where we get real practical, where we talk about things that each of us has to decide every day, things that we probably won't agree on. Uh, there is a possibility of not agree. No, there's a certainty of not agree, uh, because we're talking about things that have to do with maturity, and we're all at different levels, and we may step on some toes in the next month or two. As we look at personal, practical holiness, um, and if you were up here covering the topic when I was sitting in the pew, I'm sure you'd say a few things that I'd think, eh, they went a little too far on that one. Uh, but I've still got the mic, so we'll see if we can learn a little bit about this practical holiness thing. I decided to start with a pretty easy one, uh, how we dress. I don't foresee any problem talking about this one at all. Um, but it's going to get worse because we're going to get into daily decisions. that you make and make for different reasons, but we're going to look at it from a laying aside viewpoint. So let's get practical here today. Uh, not to lay down rules, but to think about how to think. They just keep telling yourself that. He's telling us how we ought to be able to think. Let's start with this. Restaurants have dress codes. Here's one I like. Reasonably, reasonable dress required to maintain the high standards of this restaurant. I thought that was well said. I don't know what restaurant it was, but I found the sign on Google and, and liked it. Uh, there's all sorts of signs out there that I like. In fact, this one, e even countries have dress codes. I really like this one. Welcome to Amsterdam. When it's hot, 
Please dress for the body you have, not the body you want. I've never been to Amsterdam. I don't know if that's a real one or not, but I liked it. Uh, You ever been to a church with a dress code posted at the front door? I don't think I have. There are a few that have one. Some churches have dress codes. I found this one. Uh, This is the National Shrine of Our Lady of Lords, so it's more of a tourist attraction than a church. Uh, But they've got a very complicated sign uh, explaining this is permissible in this building and this is not. Uh, This is proper. This is improper. Uh, That specific building, which has a lot of tourists come in, uh, feels it's necessary to tell them, here's how you dress in this building. Okay, This is not about... A church dress code, don't get confused and keep trying to think of that. Now, this is not about putting a sign out in the lobby that says, here's how you got a dress to come in here. What I'm asking today, really, is should Christians have a dress code? Should, should Christians think about this in some way different than the world? Should we have a dress code? Now, some of you may have never thought about that. Uh, This guy gets up to St. Peter and says, please tell me that there's no dress code up here. Uh, He probably didn't think there was a dress code on earth either. Uh, You may think about a dress code someday. I don't know. I I think it's all standard white robes, but I don't know. Anyhow, speaking of standards, what's the standard response to what I've talked about so far? Should Christians have a dress code? How should Christians dress? Uh, What do we think about that? Uh, Now, there are a few Christ followers who do make a code. They mandate a uniform, if you will. They mandate a uniform that specifically looks different from the world. You can recognize them in the store. You can see them in the parking lot. You say, I know they're one of those. Why? Because they dress differently. Okay? Now, that's okay. In fact, there's some good things about it. You know, I mean, you've got to make your mind up. I'm going to identify with this group instead of the world. But I don't think that's necessarily uh, taught in the Bible. I don't think it's necessary. It might be better than looking completely like the world. But there are a few people that go that direction. I'm asking you, as Northside, as our fellowship, uh, what's the general feeling? Do Christians have a dress code? My guess is the standard answer would be, well, let's see. Paul told women not to dress like prostitutes, so we can't do that. He didn't say anything. Nobody said anything to men, so they can dress any way they want. And the Lord looks at the heart anyway. He doesn't care what I wear. I'd say that's pretty well the general feeling among a lot of Christians. And that kind of works for me. Unless I'm preaching Hebrews 12.1. Unless I'm preaching about laying aside every weight and every sin that entangles. 
unless I'm preaching to serious Christians, which is what this whole series is about, who want to walk worthy, then that standard answer doesn't quite cut it for me. Then I would propose three steps to find our answer, your answer. This is your race. You've got to find your answer to your dress code. Step one, I would propose we read the Bible like we were pursuing holiness. You can read the Bible a lot of different ways. You can sit down and read the Bible just to get the history flow of things. You, you can read the Bible to pass a Bible bowl test. Learn all the facts, all the names, everything. Or you can read the Bible like I'm pursuing holiness and I want to know what God wants me to do. Let's practice a little bit. First Samuel sixteen seven I put on your handout. Famous verse, everybody likes it. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Famous story of little boy David and his great big handsome brothers. Everybody thought they ought to be king. Nobody thought David ought to be king. God looked on his heart. He didn't care how tall he was. Okay, That's the story. Now, uh, it's obvious. Anybody that reads that verse today, God doesn't care what kind of clothes we wear. If you're just reading the Bible. And actually it's true in, in a sense. In fact, I'd quote that verse to somebody that showed up here this morning, came in off the street, had raggedy jeans, a t-shirt, and flip-flops. And they came in here and they said, whoa, I'm a little uncomfortable in here. Everybody seems to be dressed a little bit nicer than I do. I'd tell them this. I'd say, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God, God's looking at your heart. If you want to come find God, if you want to come worship, if you want to come learn what the Bible has to say, you come any way you want. So it's true in that sense. But if I was talking to a mature Christian who's interested in laying aside every weight and came into my office and said, I'm worried about this dress thing. Am I dressing all right? Am I dressing holy? Uh, in life, not just at church, but at work and the places I go and all that. Would you help me with that? I'd say, okay, this verse says God looks at the heart. But to a mature Christian, we also know that Jesus told the Pharisees, you look good on the outside, but your problem's the heart. And he said, your problems on the outside come from the heart. Okay? So if you've got a problem in dress, it's a heart problem. If you're dressing too provocatively or too uh, financially irresponsibly or too whatever, there's a heart problem. Not about the clothes. It's about why you want to dress that way. Okay? God's looking at the heart. To a mature Christian, that's the answer. That's the, the, the problem, not what's on the outside. All right, Deuteronomy 22, 22, verse 5. I put that in there because I know it's Old Testament, but it's one of the few direct verses about dress. 
And I was making a list. I thought this would be interesting in today's world. It says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothes. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, we got a KYB question one time. A lady wrote in and said she was we lived on a farm and had to do chores and she wore overalls and she had read this verse. She wondered if it was all right for her to wear overalls. Man, I love an attitude like that. Somebody's done something all their life and they read a verse in the book and say, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. That's a good attitude. That's a good heart. Now, I wanted to respond to her that overalls would be a vast improvement for a lot of people, I see. But I didn't. I assured her that she was okay to do her farm chores and her overalls, and she'd still be quite feminine. That's not what this verse is about. And I some Christ followers try to make it mean that. And women can't wear pants and they can't do this and all that. It's not what it's about. This is about men and women who want to act as if there is no God. This is a Romans 1 problem. Okay? Romans 1 says that people who decide they don't want to believe in God will abandon the natural. They'll have a depraved mind. They will do what ought not to be done, and they will not only do it, but they will approve of those who practice it. That's a Romans 1 problem. Okay? You wonder how close we are to end times? Look at the reaction in this world to poor old sick Bruce. Okay? Now, some of you that have been raised to be tolerant say that's mean to say he's sick. No, that's just a fact. He's mentally ill. That's a definition of mentally, mental illness, is to think you are what you aren't. We know that. If a full-grown man says, I think I am a baby, and I, I want to sleep in a crib, we'd say, this boy's sick. Yeah, we understand that. I mean, that's the definition. That's even the technical definition of what Bruce's problem. Now, I think it's even worse to change the makeup and the dress and even the plumbing and say, now I'm happy. God doesn't call that a sin. God calls that an abomination. The world calls it courage. God calls it abomination. 1 Peter 3, verse 3 through 4. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very gracious. Quick first read. Not serious, not trying to lay aside, just reading quick. Oh, okay. I shouldn't dress too fancy. Shouldn't wear too much bling. Okay, that's good advice. If you're reading at that level, fine. If you're reading, however, as if you're pursuing holiness, you look at that and says, hold it now. That's telling me 
what ought to set me apart. Written specifically to women. Telling me what ought to set you apart. What ought to make you noticeable. Is the hidden person of the heart. And your gentle and quiet spirit. It even finishes by telling you here's what's important in life. Not by attracting people or getting noticed because of how you dress or what you wear. But what's important is doing what is precious in God's sight. Thinking as he thinks. Willing as he wills. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 through 10. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. All right? Traditional Sunday school quick read explanation. Okay. Prostitutes in those days fixed their hair up all fancy and braided it and put gold and jewels and things in it to attract attention, and they wore expensive clothes, and that's how they got people's attention. Doesn't apply to us. Ain't nobody dressing like a prostitute these days. That's quick read, fast read, basic read. Laying aside readers, somebody that's serious about it will look at that verse and say, okay, what's this mean for me in 2015? Well, first of all, go back a few verses and you find out this is about worship. Look at the start of the chapter, that little heading. It's called a pericope. That little heading says, Instructions on Worship. And he says, starts out and he says, I want you to pray in worship. Okay? He even tells us who to pray for. Brother Brad did that this morning. Brother Brad's still following instructions. Pray for those who rule us and all of that. Okay? So, He says, I want you to pray. Then he says, I want men to pray. And then he says, I want women to dress this way. Talking about worship. So uh, a laying aside, walking worthy kind of student would look at that and say, okay, I wonder what all those words mean. This translation says modesty and and, uh, self-control. But if you look at a couple others, which is good study, You'll find one that says shamefacedness. Ever anybody use that lately? Shamefacedness. No, that's an old word. So you dig a little deeper and you, you find out what the words were and where that came from. And it's got all sorts of things mixed in that word. It, there's, it comes from a root of modesty, a root of humility, a root of grief over sin. A root of not dishonoring God. A flavor of sexual moderation in there. All that's in those words. And then you go back and read it, and it says, If you come to worship with fancy hair and costly expensive dresses, you ought to be ashamed. And it's about dishonoring God somehow. And it's about sexual moderation somehow. What's that mean? Well, it means back in that day, if you showed up at worship with fancy hair and expensive clothes, you would be drawing attention to yourself. The poor women 
would probably be jealous of your fancy dress. And the men might be provoked. It might be provocative to them. If any of those things happen, you have drawn attention to yourself and away from the Lord. And you ought to be shame-faced that you have distracted someone from worshiping. Okay? That's what that verse means. A laying aside Christian, a walking worthy Christian, would be shame-faced if they drew attention to themselves and away from worship. A worldly woman would go home after church if she had done this, with no shame at all. In fact, she might go home and say, boy, they love this outfit today. <laughs> all my friends told me how pretty it was. Not all the others that aren't my friends, they were, I could see they were jealous. <laughs> yeah. Boy, the men were paying attention to me this morning. Yeah, that's worldly stuff. Yeah, that's what Paul's saying come to worship, you have this shame-faced thinking about what you're, how you dress. Okay, see those few verses? You can read them a lot of different ways. You can read them like you're pursuing holiness if you want. Step number two, I would say we should look for enticing sin in our life through our 1 John's 2, 15 and 16 trifocals. These trifocals are handy now. Yeah, we can use them on a lot of places. First John 2, let's look at that. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay? Catch that. Everything in the world. This verse reveals every enticement in Satan's playbook. Everyone. Only three things Satan's got. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You try to think of a sin that doesn't come from one of those three, when you think of it, you come tell me about it. I don't think you can find it. This is everything in the world. This is the way Satan works. It's the way he worked on Eve. It's the way he worked on Adam. It's the way he worked on Jesus Christ in the desert. It's the way he works on us today. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. If we know that and we put those trifocals on and look for entangling sin, enticing sin, we might be able to lay aside some things. Okay? Let's practice. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the world. 1 John makes it a little stronger. 1 John 2, 15, don't love the world. And if you do, you don't love God. The world, there's two camps. What the world teaches and what God wants. And he says, here's how you know. Here's how you find it. You look through these trifocals and you can spot every enticing sin there is. So let's try it for dress. We may use these trifocals every week from now on. I don't know. Let's try it for dress. Lust of the flesh. How can you dress with this sin affecting you? With this sin enticing you, entangling you? 
Well, the easy answer is provocatively. Lust of the flesh is anything sensual. Looks good, feels good. I mean, today's slogan is, if it feels good, do it, right? Lust of the flesh. So if it has anything to do with lust of the flesh, either in you or provoking it in others, that's where the sin comes from. So we'd say, well, dressing provocatively. What's that mean? Tell me, tell me. How, how short's too short? How tight's too tight? Uh, give me a list of rules. No, that's not the way the book works. And on this one particularly, I can't give you rules. Because provocative dress changes all the time. It changes for one person. It's got to do with age. It's got to do with body shape. It's got to do with what events you're at. It has lots to do with lots of things. Okay. There are things that are cute on little girls when they're five that aren't cute when they're 10 or 12. Okay? There comes a time when we have to change. A little girls sometimes, I'll, I'll pick them up and throw them up in the air and they'll come down and their, their skirt will billow out. And I call it a parachute. Okay. And I've done that with a number of little girls around here, and some of them think it's really cool, and some of them don't. I had one one time that thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Every Sunday, here she'd come, do a parachute. Okay, so we'd do a parachute. Well, she got to be about 10 or so. I said, honey, we got to quit doing parachutes. (laughs) You know, it's the time for the end of that. That's the way provocative is. You, you can't define it with a tape measure or anything else. Now, what's provocative? I personally, now I, I realize I'm not qualified to say this, but I don't think any woman over 13 is that dumb. But they don't know what provocative is. You know? If you are, your mama and daddy have failed. If you're of that age and don't know what provocative is about, then your mom and daddy hadn't done their job. Yeah. Uh, women understand that. They've got to. They know who looks at them and how they look at them. Yeah, I mean, if you really don't know, go ask some woman that you think's dressed modest. They'll say, well, what do you think about this? Is this provocative? Could this possibly be entangling me? Could this be an enticing sin? I mean, this, I know some people haven't been taught well. Moms, you got to do better. you got to quit looking at people and thinking that's a fashion advice. Dads, you're the head of the house. And you're uniquely qualified as a male to know about this side of things. So they're, send her back to the bedroom. Nope, not the right choice. That, that's our job as Christian parents. But if you weren't raised right, and we're looking now at laying aside, if you've come out of the world last month, that's fine. You may dress a little provocatively. You had not learned yet. you got to lay aside and you start thinking about this and reading these verses and looking through the trifocals and say, there's one I better pay attention to. Okay. How about lust of the eyes? 
That's things that you covet, that just look good. That's my best way to describe it, is that looks good, and I'd look good in it. Yeah, That's covetousness. Just seeing something that, I'd like to have that. Now, covetousness sounds real difficult and out there. It's not. Everybody's got some of it. Cindy and I were on vacation one time, and they've got these shops, places where they've got all sorts of fancy shops where there's nothing in it you need or nothing in it you can afford, but they're kind of fun to look at. So we walked walking through there one day, and there was a fur store. Had all kinds of furs. Well, hey, you PETA types, just calm down and don't pay attention for a while. God gave us dominion. Anyhow, um, so she's trying on furs, and this one's too big, and that one looks goofy, and that's too fluffy, and all that. And finally, she slips this one on, silver fox. Got a hood on it. Fits perfectly. Look in the mirror, she says, that is pretty. <laughs> That's nice. It was. I got a picture on my phone if you want to see it. Think I'm exaggerating. I <laughs> was one hot grandmother, I tell you. <laughs> Anyhow, she, we got looking for a while and she said, this is coveting. This is what coveting is. And I tried a little bit. I said, but you're so cold-blooded in the winter. That would keep you warm. She said, it would keep me warm, but this is coveting. Yeah, it went back on the rack. Yeah, everybody got a little bit. It just looks good. I'd like to have that. It's the way God made us. Might be an enticing sin. Third one, pride. Pride of life. Well, how does this tie into dress? Well, why do some people dress the way they do? Because that's the fashion. That's the fashion, and you've you got to look good and, and be in fashion. You can't be behind the times. You've got to look like everybody else. You've got to conform to the world. And you've got to be up to date. Let me tell you a real quick story. I saw the headline on the Internet, and I said, that can't be true. So it intrigued me, and I read the rest of the story, even printed out the medical report that came with the case. 35-year-old woman, walking home one night, felt her feet starting to get numb. She couldn't pick them up right. Pretty soon she tripped and fell. Several hours till somebody found her, they took her to the hospital. Doctor said, well, what were you doing before you... Started walking home. She said, well, I was helping a friend move. And I was emptying cabinets out and picking things up and putting them down and squatting most of the day and doing all of that. The problem was she was wearing skinny jeans. Okay. When the doctor found what she'd been doing, he began to investigate. Well, first he had to cut them off because that's the only way he could get them off. He cut them off, and then he figured out she, her nerves and her circulation had been so constricted by squatting and everything all day in those skinny jeans that she about ruined her legs. Four days later, she was able to walk unaided and was dismissed from the hospital. Now, I read that, and I thought, assuming 
The woman is of average intelligence. It's a bad assumption, maybe, but assuming that, why would anybody do something so painful to themselves? There's only one answer. Fashion. The only answer. I mean, it may surprise you to know that I've got some skinny jeans in my closet. <laughs> they, they weren't when I bought them. <laughs> but they are now. But i got enough sense not to wear them. You know, if I try them on and I can't breathe, I think, eh, I don't think so. This woman put hers on, she couldn't breathe or squat, and she still did it. Yeah. Fashion. Got to be fashionable. Got to look like the world. What's First John say? I don't love the things of the world. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We'll roll on here. Step three. After we search for enticing sin, let's search for some hindering weights. These are different than sins. They aren't sins. Search for hindering weights with our Hebrews 12.1 magnifying glass. Okay, remember why I picked a magnifying glass? We're looking for every ounce. We're running a race. We're trying to find every ounce that we can get rid of so we can run better. Okay, let me just propose a few to you. And you look with your glass. Does this help or hinder? Okay. Financial stewardship. Does this help or hinder my financial stewardship, this, this dress I'm considering, this outfit I'm considering, this fox coat I'm looking at? Yeah. Fox coat was expensive. Yeah. Could, could I have afforded it? Yeah. Well, let's see, I cut the mission budget. Cut, <laughs> cut a few things out. Yeah, I could afford it. But even if I could just pull that much money out of my pocket, would it be better hanging in her closet for 11 months a year? Or would it be better going to a missionary? Help or hinder? Is this going to help my financial stewardship or hinder it? Ask yourself about your clothes. How many of you got more clothes in your closet than you wear? Not because of growth pains. But because, <laughs> because you just bought more than you need. Yeah. Financial stewardship is a good question to ask if you're looking for every ounce. Ask yourself, what else could this money go for? Second one, influence or effect on others. Yeah. See, we don't cover this one too much. But Second Corinthians two two says three two says we are living letters, read by everyone. And those people that claim God doesn't care what I wear and it doesn't affect anything, you're fooling yourself. Dress sends a message. How we dress, that's how people evaluate us immediately. They're starting to read our letter by how we dress. Okay? And some people take that concept and think both ways about it. about conforming to the world and not wanting to look different from the world and all that. Okay? That's one reason I still dress a little more formally 
than some people dress for church these days. Because I want people that come in, I want them to think, well, he's serious about this. And I, and I know everybody's different on this, but I want to tell you there's a difference between a picnic and a Lord's Supper. And people that come here or anywhere else, look at us. We affect them. We influence them. They read our letter and they figure out what's important to us. Third thing I put down is worry. Matthew chapter 6. This is a passage on clothes. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six twenty eight. Jesus said, listen to this. He said, why do you worry about clothes? Looking for every ounce here now. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass and the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Heavenly Father knows that you need them. I know that's talking about the basics of life. But the principles, if you're not even supposed to worry about whether you have clothes or not, how can you worry about whether it's the latest fashion or the proper label or all the stuff we worry about? We're looking for every ounce. Might be a place to find it. Let me just finish reading that passage. Verse 33 is my next point. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. There's the answer. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Apply that to dress. Are you seeking his kingdom, his righteousness? You and I can both think of some more, I'm sure, but this was just a sample to uh, help us think about this if we're serious about walking worthy. Have we helped any today? I don't know. I didn't give you a dress code. I hope I gave you a guide to start one for you, if you want to start one, if you're serious about this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've been talking about practical holiness. If you're here this morning and don't have positional holiness, we talked about that last week, that's when God declares you righteous because you appropriated the blood of Christ to take that stain away in your life. If you haven't ever done that, we'd invite you to do it this morning. If you have other needs this morning, we'd be happy to pray with you. Whatever you need, come to the front. Let's stand and sing.